Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Care Patrol of Connecticut in New York is your number one partner for securing safe senior living options and navigating the senior care continuum. Their services are at no cost to you, and they guide you through the entire process. Visit www.carepatrolct.com for details. So until literally within the last month or summer, this summer of 2023, I would have heard those songs and birds my entire life and not have been able to tell you that the last one was a J and the other one was a Cardinal. And I think in between is a Finch, but only because I cheated. Otherwise I would not be able to recognize it. Tom Anderson joins us now. He is a treasure to our area. He is the director of communications uh, of the Connecticut Audubon Society, but he's also the author of a magnificent book. I I would say a must-read book on the Long Island Sound called This Fine Piece of Water. Uh, Tom, welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. Uh, Lisa, thank you. That's very, very nice of you to say that. I'm happy to be here. Tom, you may not remember, I've been on the air now 17 years. I'm going to be starting my 18th year. And you were one of the first guests on the Lisa Wexler show when it was called Lunch with Lisa. And I remember... I came to the the studio on uh, on Route 1 in in Norwalk. You did. And I read your entire book. At that time, I was only on once a week, so I read every book cover to cover. (laughs) I'm not sure I can say that anymore. But this book was called This Fine Piece of Water. It's one of the few books out of the thousands that I have collected since then that is still in my bookcase. I will not give it up because it was such a remarkable revelation to me about how you spoke about the Long Island Sound. I want you to tell us a little bit because I think people have no idea about the abundance, for example, of lobsters in the sound during the 1800s. Talk to us about that. Yeah, not just during the 1800s, but before that as well. Um, 
And, you know, Lisa, <laughs> you're asking me now to talk about a chapter of a book that I literally wrote the chapter probably in 1989, 1990. Mm. But there were there were so many lobsters, lobsters, not just many lobsters, but huge. One, one lobster big enough to feed a dozen people, for example. <gasps> That's how big wow. they were. Wow. Uh, and w- one of the anecdotes I heard is that um, lobsters – would be fed lobsters were so abundant that they were fed to prisoners in prisons and the the prisoners got so tired of eating lobsters that they rioted because they they were sick of having lobster every day i'll never forget that that's some story tom that's an unbelievable (laughs) story to think about where we were and where we are and you talked in 1980 you talked about uh i think in 1987 you said the the sound uh suffered from hypoxia a lack of oxygen yeah yeah So, so Tom Anderson, let's hear about the sound because it's very much related to the health and welfare of our birds and wildlife. How are we doing with the health of Long Island Sound right now? Uh, Long Island Sound is much, much better than it was when I was researching my book and when I was a newspaper reporter back in the late 1980s and 1990s um, in New Rochelle and the Maranek. Um, A lot of all of those problems from the late 1980s resulted in a lot of work being done and a lot of money being spent on sewage treatment plants in New York and Connecticut. And the re- result is that 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 hypoxia crisis, that lack of dissolved oxygen, dissolved oxygen that you mentioned, um, has it hasn't gone away, but it the area of the sound that's affected is much much smaller. It's basically confined to you know, like off City Island and, and Larchmont and that area. Uh, and also, in the old days, it would spread all the way to past Bridgeport to New Haven. Mm. And it's all, it also lasts for a shorter amount of time. Um, the maps from the late 1980s and the early 1990s show that hypoxia would, would start in mid-July and not go away until September. And now it's a phenomenon of, on a bad in a bad year, a couple of weeks in late July or August, but nothing like it used to be. And that's because that's because the problem was recognized uh, by a combination of great work by government scientists and uh, regulators, but also because of um, really un. Uh, I would say unrelenting advocacy on the part of the people who live along the sound, who basically said, you know, this is our backyard. This is a great resource for us. We're not going to let you let it go to waste. We're not, not going to let you just sit by while it, it continues to get worse and worse. So the two combined, and the result is that I mean, it's a long time now, it's 40 years or so, um, but it's it's much, much better than it was then. Do we have any untreated sewage still pouring into the sound on a regular basis? Yes, we do. There are still some cities, well, New York City is one, but also some cities in Connecticut where they have what are known as combined sewers. And those combined sewers are designed to carry both the sewage from our houses and also stormwater, water water that, that flows down the street after a rainstorm and they work perfectly well when it's not raining when it's raining they're designed to bypass the sewage treatment plants and just empty directly into the sound or its tributaries and so um 
routinely when that happens, beaches have to be closed because they're no longer safe to swim in. And shellfish beds in um, Norwalk, uh, off Bridgeport and Stratford and Milford and North New Haven have to be shut down because it's not safe to harvest clams and oysters uh, after that happens. And that's a problem that um, I don't actually know if, if a whole lot of work has been done on that. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, what it requires is the entire sewer system to be rebuilt. And I think it's, to this point, it's just been too daunting and too expensive for cities to do that. So there's no sort of end point where it all combines that could then be re-separated or re, you know what I mean? Separated well, so that you yeah, can, well, you know what I mean? Some, some places, New York City has done this in a couple of locations and Norwalk did it as well. They built big um, holding tanks. Okay. So that the stormwater can be, can, can instead of flowing into the, in Norwalk, for example, it used to flow right into the Norwalk river. Instead of doing that, it now goes into a, a huge, holding tank at the sewage treatment plant where it's held until the, um, the, the, the rain flow slows down and then they can put it all through the sewage treatment plant. But that has not happened all over. There's still, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say which cities because my memory is not what it used to be. I know Bridgeport still has combined sewers and I know huge parts of New York City still do. I'm not really sure about New Haven, however. But it's, it's, it's good for it's, me to know, because when I ask people that want to run for mayor for New Haven and Bridgeport what they want to do with the city, I'd like to be able to ask them about these issues because it's yeah. important. You know, it's it in sure terms is. of long term capital improvement and quality of life, it's important to know, do they have these? Is this a priority for them in terms of spending? I, I think it's important. So it's good to know. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And um I had one other question for you before we get to the birds, Tom Anderson, but you're such a wealth of information. Um, What about the power of oysters to clean the sound, to clean our areas? I've been reading about the, and talking to people about the miraculous uh, properties of oysters. How are we doing with the health of our shellfish? And can oysters really, you know, clean up the pollution? Yeah, you know, I I read um, somewhere not that long ago that in the years like the early 1600s, there were so many oysters in New York Harbor that they could, that, you know, oysters feed by filtering water through their systems. And so there were so many oysters in New York Harbor in like 1600 that it's estimated that they could filter the entire contents of New York Harbor every three days. (gasps) and in you know in Connecticut we still have big vast oyster beds um, the mouth of the Housatonic River Milford Stratford Bridgeport that area is still rich in oysters um, and there's still oysters being planted um, I believe off New Haven and certainly off Norwalk um, but the the and and they all I mean those are important for the ecosystem but there's not it's not as extensive as it used to be. Um, I think that if there were more oyster beds, it would be better, obviously. But it's it's definitely not like it, like it used to be. And when you when these this is what I've always been confused about: if the oysters are there in in a dirty pool of water, notwithstanding the fact that they filter it, are they still 
something that we should be eating as humans. Well, so that's an interesting point. Um, what I know about the health departments in New York State and Connecticut is that they are really diligent about monitoring what goes on on the oyster beds. You can't sell a bag of clams or oysters harvested from Long Island Sound unless it has a tag on it saying specifically what day and what oyster bed they were harvested, that bag was harvested from. It's a way that the state health officials have of tracking where every oyster in the state is going so that if there's an outbreak, they know. First of all, they know that, that it was harvested uh, during a day when the beds were clean um, uh, and, and the water was, was healthy. Um, every time it rains, I, and I forget the amount, but, but not like maybe a half inch or even less, the oyster beds and, and clam beds in Connecticut are shut down automatically, and you're not even allowed to go out there on a boat to ha- harvest oysters during that period. Um, and they stay closed for a number of days um, based on the records the state has of how long it takes for the water to, to become clean enough again. So um, the, I, I think the answer is that if you're buying shellfish from a reputable dealer in Connecticut, you're probably 99% sure that you're getting something that's good and safe. And, you know, if you're buying shellfish and you have any doubts, ask the person who's selling them to show you the tag from the bag where they were harvested, if if you want to be sure. It's interesting, Tom Anderson, because this morning, 06880, which is a very well-read blog in in, uh, Westport by Dan Woog, had this big story about the fact that all these people that don't have licenses are clamming and oystering um, on the beaches outside Campo, like, like right there on the left there, the old mill. And, yeah. uh, they're ve- and the, the professional shellfish people who own the beds are very upset about this, but they're very upset about it commercially because they feel it's depleting resources, but also because these people are amateurs, they're unlicensed. And as you just said, there are times of the day or the, you know, depending on the weather conditions where some of the shellfish may be perfectly healthy to eat, but other times where... Maybe the bacteria is too high and they shouldn't be eaten at all, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. definitely. I didn't know about that, but I will look that up. Oh, yeah, look that up. It's a big, it's a big story in today's 06880, um, and the police are being urged, both the state police and local police, to, to make these people move on because they're, they feel like they're invading the shellfish beds and they shouldn't be. And yeah. uh, there was a story that hundreds of people were literally trying to clam an oyster for themselves uh, they just thought it was a fun activity, I guess, or I don't know, or they know what they're doing and they want to do it anyway. That's how they get dinner that night, but, uh, yeah. they're not supposed to be doing it and it could be dangerous. We're chatting with Tom Anderson. Tom, can you stick around a little bit? We're going to get right back to the birds. We're going to be talking I, I, I about, can, but yeah. can, can I tell you that I, I have a, another long scheduled call at 11? So yeah, sure. Okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going to be right back. We'll take it to 11 o'clock with Tom Anderson, who is uh, the director of the Connecticut Audubon Society. We're going to come right back and talk about birds. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We're talking with Tom Anderson, who's the director of communications for the Connecticut Audubon Society uh, and also editor of the Connecticut State of the Birds. So let's get to the birds a little bit, Tom. Hello and welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit what you know about the state of the birds in Connecticut and specifically, if you can, in Fairfield County or New Haven County. Talk to us. Sure. Well, um, <laughs> the, the state of the birds is a big question. The state of a couple of um very interesting and very vulnerable birds this summer has been um, is pretty good actually, uh, and the ones I'm referring to are there's a um, a little bird that nests on the beach that is protected under the Federal Endangered Species Act. It's called the piping plover, and there are only about 60 or so nests in all of Connecticut, uh, and they nest only on the beach, so it makes them incredibly vulnerable. Um, to um, disturbances from, you know, people who are walking along the beach, people who are going for a swim, from dogs. But um, we have at our Milford Point Coastal Center, um, which includes a, um, a, a wild um, sort of, un, I don't want to say unmanaged, but it's a sort of un, un, unmanicured beach where it's, it's not for swimming, it's just for wildlife. Um, and this year, We've managed to have um, 30 young birds hatch, 30 young Ooh. piping plovers hatch this year. Wow. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an excellent year. In fact, it's the best year we've ever had. Uh, and part of that is because the weather has been good. In previous years, when we've had a, a, a nice number of nests, there have been coastal storms that coincided with high tide, and some of the nests got wiped out. That didn't happen this year, but also because um, we, we have had for years um, a couple of young people who work on the beach every day. We call them coastal rangers, and they're supported by this year a grant from, from the Genium Foundation and also from um, just the suburb Connecticut Audubon members. And they're out there every day, and they, they mark off where the nests are, and they ask people to stay away, and they, you know, they sort of tell people why. It's important to stay away because if you if you um, if you get too close to the birds, if you get too close to the birds, and you know even if you want to take photographs or are looking with through binoculars, it, if you if you drive them away from their nests, it makes the young birds more vulnerable. Um, but that hasn't really happened this year. It's been a good year, like I said, and um, it it's it looks like. It doesn't look like because the season's almost over. We've, we've it is easily our best 
our most successful season for nesting piping plovers at Milford Point. Um, I think they're, they're also only, at Sherwood Island State Park, piping plover. They are, um, they, yep. Yeah. They, there are 15 or 16, maybe 17 beaches where piping plovers nest. Um, a couple tried to nest at Campo this year. I don't know if it was successful. But of those, of those 17 beaches, two-thirds of all the nests are either at Milford Point or at Sandy Point in West Haven. So those are the big spots. The other spots tend to get one or two, maybe three nests, but Milford Point and Sandy Point are the big ones. Where do the where and, do the birds um, go during the winter? Are they always hanging around the beach all winter long, or do they migrate someplace? No, they they migrate to the Caribbean mainly. Um, Isn't that amazing? This tiny bird goes to the Caribbean. Don't you find that extraordinary? It uh, bird migration is one of the most extraordinary things. Yeah, these aren't even the smallest birds. Think about hummingbirds. You know, ah. they, hummingbirds go to South America and Central America, and they're tiny. It's, it's just incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. The more I learn about bird migration, the more my mouth gapes open. I can't <laughs> I can't get a handle on it, how they fly for hours and hours and hours, and they barely sleep, or they have a function where they're sleeping as they're flying. I mean, that's why we've been talking so much about the Lights Out movement, Tom, because we want to help yeah. the birds get on their way, because now that we know we have you know, manipulated the environment to our own ends. This is what humans do by lighting up the night skies. We've lost millions of birds, millions of birds. They go it's, the wrong way. Esti- estimated that a, a 1 billion birds a year in North America are killed when they crash into buildings. And a, lo- a lot of that is because lights are on at night. Um, we just joined, we being Connecticut Audubon, just joined this year uh, a coalition called Lights Out Connecticut, which was started by um, a couple of people in New Haven and at Yale, uh, because New Haven has been sort of a hotspot for birds crashing and dying. And, um, in fact, I can let you know, in, during, during migration season, in the spring and the fall, we put out lights-out alerts for our members to, just to remind them that tonight's going to be a big migration night. So um, turn your lights out and do the birds a favor. Uh, let, let them fly past without crashing into your house. Um, I could easily send those to you, your producer. Definitely. And I'll happen. alert our yeah. radio audience and I'll also alert online. Of course. That'd Definitely. Be great. Yeah. That'll, that, that'll start happening again, probably in mid September. Um, we check the, we check the radar. There are forecasts, daily forecasts based on radar that um, predicts how many birds will be passing through Connecticut at night. Did you say a billion a year are estimated? Yeah. One, to- yeah. Yes, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? One billion. I can't get year. I can't get over that number. Honestly, I yep. can't. Yep. Yep. Um, and so you know, if a billion birds are dying every year, if you cut that in half, that's a huge number of birds that survive. So that's 100%. what we're working on. Wow! Yeah. Look at that. We're chatting with Tom Anderson, who was with Audubon. Uh, how are what are the state of our songbirds? How are we doing in terms of population of Robins and cardinals and jays and finches and wrens and all those other birds. How are we doing? Yeah, that's a, that's a much more complicated question. Um, okay. Most of the birds that you just mentioned are doing okay. They tend to be uh, what bird people call habitat generalists, which means they can find a place to nest almost anywhere. It's the it's the birds that are habitat specialists that require special habitat that are not doing as well. And those would be the birds that nest only in grasslands, for example, like 
bobolinks and um, savannah sparrows. They're not quite as common as they used to be. And they're also birds that, that nest deep in the forest and no, nowhere else. Those birds tend to be not quite as abundant. And one of the real big, um, one of the areas where, where there's been the biggest drop-off is the birds that need sort of thick, shrubby areas, you know, the brush and underbrush, um, because that kind of habitat has become, surprisingly enough, very rare in Connecticut. Um, and birds like indigo buntings, eastern towhees, blue-winged warblers, they've all had population drops over the last 50 years of maybe 80% or more. 80%? 80%, yeah, 8-0, because they, they don't have the habitat not just in Connecticut, but but throughout uh, throughout their range in eastern North America. And so, and so what? So tell <laughs> us. So so in other words, if we have I don't know a half acre of land or an acre of land or maybe some people even have more than that, should we be creating a variety of different plantings so that we can attract a variety of different kinds of birds? Yeah, that would be great. It's not. I can't guarantee that you're going to get nesting blue-winged warblers, but um, you'll get, uh, first of all, a lot more birds than you have now, but you'll also get a lot more butterflies and a lot more bees and other pollinators, all of which make for great habitat. So, so definitely. We have, a, you know, we have a column on our website. Our website is ctaudubon.org. Uh, um, we have a column once a month called Homegrown Habitat, where one of the, uh, our board members, who happens to be a, a landscape designer, writes every month about a native plant that's good for birds and bees that you can easily plant on your property. Or if you have it on your property, you can, you can take care of it so it, it, it propagates. Um, and just this morning, actually, I was starting to edit the August column, which is going to be about goldenrods. So um, your listeners can check that out, um, ctaudubon.org. It's, it's called Homegrown Habitat. That, that gives really good practical advice on how to make your property better for birds and pollinators. Tom Anderson, I have a question for you before we let you go. Is, are there any electives in Connecticut public schools with respect to teaching botany and birds, uh, the relationship between plants and birds, because uh, when I was going to high school, I could not have even learned this. Uh, I learned basic bio, but then I was on to chemistry um, and physics. But th- there was not even an elective, if I had wanted it, to learn about sort of the essentials of plant and bird life around me. Do we have an elective like that in Connecticut? Do you know? There are. Boy, this is really getting into the area that I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in. But, but, but there's something in Connecticut and maybe beyond called Next Generation Science Standards, NGSS, mm. which requires schools to teach um, uh, all kinds of sort of practical outdoor science uh, ed- education things, including um, habitats and soils and wildlife. Thank you, Tom. I don't know if there's any, requ- I don't know if there's any, any requirement for birds and bird songs in particular, but I think the I think the curriculum is broad enough so that that could be incorporated. And Thank we, you, Tom. We, provide- we appreciate that. We're going to come up against the hour. We have to have you back on again. I okay. want to thank you so much. 
uh, and it's ctaudubon.org to find out more. Tom Anderson, Director yeah. of Communications for the Audubon Society. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. We love having you on, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Pleasure. We'll be right back. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.